Hello. Oh, hi, Merlin. How is everything going way up there in San Francisco? Thanks for moving. You just finished your other program like a second ago. Yeah, I just run. It's there right next door. I just run from uh, one room to the other room. From studio to studio. Studio A, Studio B, 30 Rock. And uh, do you need to eat or anything? No, I got all that taken care of. I had a, hot, a couple hot dogs from the microwave. Microwave hot dogs. Mm. Do, you, do you punch holes in them? Oh, to, when, I, when I'm microwaving them? No. Really? No. You've never had an issue? Uh, I'm, I'm not saying I've never had an issue. Mm. Uh, Is but, it streaming, Dan? Can people hear this on the internet? Yeah, they can hear it, sure. Why I'll not? people on the internet. Yeah, we're, t- um, we're tweeting it out. You know, you know how it is. As you get older, you realize you have a lot of accumulated information that's mostly untrue. Turns out, yes. Um, I had always heard that you should punch some little fork holes in your in your hot dog. No, you are. You're definitely supposed to to punch. You, you go. You go against the grain. You're a maverick. Well, it's. I found that what happens is they get a little bit. They get kind of wrinkly if you don't do that. Like mm-hmm. they develop a tough skin. But mm. you know, a thick skin in life is not a, necessarily a bad thing. Like an old veteran. An old vet. The old, old veterans wiener. The old man. Old man. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing good. I, I'm, I don't want to jinx anything, but like I, the weather's warmer. I'm not sick. It's just, yeah. it seems like too much. That is so, yes. And it's so weird that you would say that because I was just thinking about all the things I don't want to talk about because I don't want to jinx myself. We, uh, we are finally for the first time in like six weeks less sick as a household. Yes. Uh, I'm busy in a good way and it's, uh, and I don't want to jinx it. So, so what should we do to avoid the jinx? Now see, we probably screwed it up already by talking about the jinx. Yeah. Well, I don't know what happens when you, when you don't, is the jinx a real thing? see what's funny is I can talk about how I think I conjured up a spider, but if, if I say, Oh, I've got to knock on wood and I don't want to jinx something. People are like, Oh yeah, yeah. You don't want to jinx it. I think that's one of the most interesting things, uh, about how, how dumb our brains are is that on the one hand, we can have a certain kind of magical thinking about one thing yeah. and not about anything else. But it's also, you know, in the practice, it's also very interesting that, you know, and in various kinds of mental issues, that something you know isn't real, quote unquote, can still be just as troublesome as something that you know is real. Example. Um, well, I mean, it comes up a lot when people talk about things like uh, people who have like uh, generalized anxiety disorder. Yes. Where you may be aware or uh, some kind of OCD, um, where you know that a thought you're having is not rational. Right. I don't know if this is, I've just, this is just stuff I've read, but supposedly like people who have a extreme version, um, you know, I hate to say OCD because I think that's what this is called. But when you have the thing like where you're compulsively counting your four kids and there's some right. little voice in your head that says, don't throw them off the subway pl- pl- platform. Don't throw them off the subway platform. Oh yeah. And you know that you're not going to do that. But you still count your kids and move away from the subway platform. Yeah, and, yeah. And that's what that really that's what made. I, I, I guess I was reading. I think I was reading or hearing an interview with the guy who wrote that anxiety book. The the, the one about throw, worried about throwing up. That one. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I, I think it was when he was on Fresh Air where I learned about literally everything. <laughs> uh, and 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 I think I think that's when. I don't know. Like it really clicked for me. I kind of turned a corner with with feeling like I understand and sympathize with others and myself is knowing that just because a thought is irrational doesn't make it feel any less real. Mm -hmm. And in fact, knowing that that feeling is irrational is what makes it worse. And if you think you don't have that, ask yourself about procrastination Mm. where you know you're procrastinating and you know you'd rather be doing something better than what you're doing. 
but you still find yourself doing that and then you feel worse and the music goes around. Does that make sense? No, it really does. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, definitely having, I've never had those kinds of OCD thoughts of like, of wanting to worried I was going to do something. It was always a different kind of fear, but there is definitely like, I can remember, especially when my OCD used to be really bad. Uh, and, and when it definitely interfered with like my quality of life, I very vividly remember being up at night way past when I should have been in bed because I was just super tired and like, no, I got to get up and check the door again. But like, mm-hmm. I know that I checked the door already. Like, I know I did it and I know that it's locked or, you know, I, get, I need to go check the window, make sure it's locked in the family room. Well, you know what? That window hasn't been opened since uh, last spring and it's the middle of winter and it's not opened. But like, I would be there checking it because, well, you know, what, if, what if it got open somehow? What if someone else opened it? Or what? Well, you live alone in your college dorm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, and, but just having like it, well, I guess I got it. And I told, we've talked about the little horse with the little mm-hmm. leg. The little, and uh, it, leg, yeah. And it's like, you know, you know very, very well that that is not rational thinking. There, you know, it's, it is locked. You can see that it's locked or whatever it is that's stressing you out. But like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And you know that it's not rational. You know that it's not rational line of thinking. I never had a situation where I was, uh, where I was like, oh, I, I'm worried I'm going to push my kids into the subway thing. Like, but that's real for a lot of people and that they have mm-hmm. to, they have to modify their behavior in a dramatic way to, to prevent. I remember there was one show that was watching on like extreme OCD when I was an early teenager. And there was one guy, I think we've talked about this. There was a guy who was worried that his, he, his neighbor's cat was going to, and how irrational is this whole scenario? His neighbor's cat was going to get into his apartment and find its way into his small mini fridge. And he was going to lock it in there accidentally when he was getting his Mountain Dew out of it. And it was going to suffocate and die in there. So part of his OCD was to repeatedly every few seconds open the little fridge and, uh, and, 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 and double check and then close the fridge. Like that was his MO and he couldn't leave his house sometimes because he was constantly opening and closing to check in case a cat got in there. Oh my God. That must be just debilitating. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I'm trying to be, there's these certain words that we throw around a lot, like OCD or ADD and things yeah. like that. And so I don't know, I, or even spectrum stuff where I feel like I, I'm trying to be more sensitive to getting that right and not speaking in generalities. But with that said, um, I mean, I think that the, I, as a woman I used to work with who was really, really smart, but I mean, I think she definitely had something going on Yeah, where like the things there was, she had what you, what you would like think of as the sort of classic, what, when I was a kid, what you would call being anal retentive. Okay. Which is a dis, I think a sort of disused Freudian term that she really had, like her desk had to be a certain way. And it went way beyond productivity. You mean like sit, it, sitting a certain way or? Well, like everything had to be arranged a certain way. And like oh. walk into any nerd's room where all their like, you know, Marvel figures are and move them <laughs> around and see what happens, right? <laughs> That's not where Rogue goes. <laughs> Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm making light, but you know, but in her case, like, but that, I think, I feel like that extended, uh, in interesting ways beyond her desk. 
Like she would always eat a certain food a certain way at mm-hmm. a certain time of day. Mm-hmm. Like every day at like 1.30, she would get 20 Cheerios and eat them one at a time out of a little cupcake thing. Mm. And that was a, like a thing. And But, you know, she was incredibly uh, functional and got a lot accomplished. But I think it was also troubling because I could see how her sense of order, um, I don't even know, I don't know if you can even really call that OCD, but like you could see how her desire or her uh, her unquenchable need for a certain kind of order and control would fly in the face with the way the rest of the world worked partic- yeah. particularly out of like a, a growing tech company with a lot of dudes yeah and so you know things like the way a meeting would work or how people you know it's, it's like the kind of people that <laughs> this is a little bit of a, a rat hole but there was a i've heard read a piece and heard a piece about this guy who's a wikipedia editor who uh spends a lot of his free time watching Wikipedia for people using the phrase comprised of, which is not technically grammatically (laughs) correct. And he has something like 60,000 edits where he's gone in and in each case, he's got like a multi-thousand word explanation on his user page explaining why he does this. He doesn't, and when they interview him, he doesn't sound quote unquote crazy, but like that's, that's something where like, you know, it's almost like that somebody's wrong on the internet kind of thing. Yes. But but so that, I mean, that's what I used to think of. That's how I used to think of it was like, oh, there's something about your personality where to use some old terms, mm-hmm. there's something about your personality, where you're neurotic mm-hmm. or you're anal retentive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we all have that. Like, think how hard it is when you're used to looking at your phone every few minutes oh, for no for no reason. I know. And then if you if your phone starts beeping, how many people can stand not looking at it for that amount of time? I mean, does that mean you have OCD? I kind of doubt it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I don't think a doctor would take that as evidence of that without doing a lot more testing. But then, th- this is the part that really intri- intrigues me: is when you start thinking about stuff that happens. I I feel like in all of those old school neurosis kind of explanations, the model tacitly is that there's something flawed about you, mm-hmm. about your really your personality. In the time before we think about somebody's mind, we would think more about there's something wrong with your personality. Maybe your mother cuddled you too much or something. Some old school Freudian idea of what makes you like that. But I think it's much more interesting and sympathetic when you start to think of it as not an event that happened a long time ago, but a series of mental loops that happen. And I, I guess I've started to feel like, partly because I believe it in myself, that a lot of what comes down to our productivity problems, creativity problems, barriers. Yeah. Any of that stuff comes down to certain <laughs> kinds, certain kinds of loops, repeating loops. Right. So I, and you jump in any point on the loop, and again, I'm not a clinician, but you get a thought that is a an invasive thought. A yes. thought that you'd rather not have. Right. And that thought is, I think, I think if you really look at where it starts, it's way before where you realize it, it starts as, is everything okay? Is the first kind of thought. And I think your immediate Next step in the loop for most people is, no, everything is not okay. Okay, well, what's not okay? Now, see also, QED, guy, you're just a guy in a room. But you go, well, something's not right. I know that several times a day, I have this baseless worry that this window might be unlocked. And if that window is unlocked, now you go off on this other loop about all the things that are going to happen because that window is unlocked. You know, it could be open and you're going to get rain damage and that's going to cost thousands of dollars. It could be there's going to be, you know, uh, a home invasion or something like that. But then, so I think, I think this is kind of the classic OCD problem is then you, you try to sit with that for a minute and that anxiety gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you have to, you get triggered to the point where you've got to go do the compulsive part of mm-hmm. that obsession, mm-hmm. which is going and checking the window. Yeah, I know this sounds like really obvious, but I think 
you're just following me for a sec. So you, then the compulsion is you go and check the window, even and you go, of course it's locked. You know, I just locked it 30 seconds ago. I know it's, I, yeah, exactly. I know there's not a cat in my dorm fridge, but I still, I will get a very, very sudden, quick relief from at least being able to shut off that one anxiety. And I think that the, the graph on that comfort dips pretty quickly, the worse it gets. Yeah. And then you might try to forget about it, think about something else, play a video game. But at some point that loop will start again and you go, is everything okay? No, everything is not okay. And then pretty soon you've got a path that you've beaten. You know what I mean? I, I, so I think that's why in particular, some people say cognitive behavioral therapy can be so helpful for those kinds of things because it forces you to acknowledge that there is a loop of things that happens here and that you might be able to have a role in stopping it. But I'm sorry, that was super long, but I just want to distinguish between like going, oh, this person's a weirdo Mm -hmm. versus this person has something going on with the way that they think that's not benefiting them. And I think that should make us much more sympathetic about the person who likes to eat their Cheerios a certain way is that, you know, they're, they may just be wired different from us and it's not anything that they love doing. Right. That's the other thing is, is there is that little bit, uh, and you, you mentioned this, there is that little bit of kind of, I don't know what the right word is, but positive hit uh, almost of like, oh, I just checked that thing. And after I checked that thing, I, f- I felt a little bit better for a second. And it's not like there's a reward, but you know, for a lot of people, I think who are listening to this show, they, they probably enjoy using their smartphones. And, you know, if you don't take your smartphone with you somewhere and you realize that you've forgotten it, that can be kind of an uncomfortable feeling, even if you don't necessarily have any big meetings, they're not expecting any big emails. You know what I'm saying? Just you just don't have it with you. You don't have the ability to check it or look at it or whatever. Uh, we just get kind of habitual about doing that. Like, well, I'm sort of standing here and might as well just look at my phone. Well, again, this is what I always do. Whether I realize it or not, what I always do at some point is when there's a downtime, I just grab my phone and look at it. Yeah, no, any downtime, right? So like over the weekend, we went to, uh, we went to San Antonio. I brought my kid with me. And, uh, and on the way back, we, we drove through Lockhart, which has great barbecue. And I had left my phone in the car. But I was in the barbecue line and my kid was already sitting there eating barbecue. Well, I'm not going to leave him alone in the restaurant to go out and uh, and go to my car and get the phone out of it. And I was in the line for condiments. I get a separate line at Smitty's for barbecue. And then you get it there and then you go and you want you want like the pickles or the coleslaw or whatever. That's a separate line that was in that line. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to get out of line and leave my kid in the restaurant to go to the car and get my stupid phone so I can look at it while I'm standing in line. Like, that's dumb. And it was funny because I realized this, and this is not an OCD thing for me, but I just realized that habit of like, oh, I'm in line for 30 seconds. Well, I don't, I don't want that. I don't, I need some kind of stimulation or entertainment or something. I would like to look at Twitter or check my email or look at Instagram or whatever. And I was like, whoa, like there's literally no unique way that I can go (laughs) and get my phone right now. And it, I realized like, well, that's, that's okay. And so I just sort of stood there and I watched people in line ahead of me and I watched how efficient the people running the register were and how the, the guy on the register worked with the lady who would ask people what they want and get it and put it on the tray and slide it over. And they had this really cool system. And as soon as she was out of the one thing of pickles, she, you know, picked up the jar and put it down below and in the same motion, grabbed the next one and unscrewed it all in like one smooth process that she's done a million times. And like, 
I was like, oh man, there's stuff going on in the world besides what's going on in the world through my little tiny screen in my pocket, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was like the anxiety, if you will, of realizing, oh crap, my phone's in the car. And what am I going to do in this awful five minute line I'm going to stand in? It wasn't that bad. There was right. things I could think about and learn and watch that, that were pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think that habit or habituation is, um, is a really interesting idea. And it's, it's sometimes it takes a situation like that. And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this as a judgment thing because I look at my phone all the time, but <laughs> it takes a moment like that to really realize it's sort of like we talked about, I'll tell you even funnier one um, to me, uh, to, to my mind is, um, you know, we talked a long time ago about how if your power goes off, like when you're in Florida, your power just goes off all the time. Yep. It just happens. Yeah. And like, you know, for the first half hour, you're still walking into rooms and turning on the light switch, <laughs> right. even though your brain quote unquote knows that the power is off. Yeah. Let me tell you one I do. This is how smart I am because I went to college and stuff. <laughs> is that um, my wife, you know, in the rush to get out in the morning will sometimes forget her cell phone. And can you guess what I do when I find out, when I realize she's forgotten her cell phone? You text her to tell her she forgot her phone. I text her to tell her she forgot her phone. (laughs) Have you ever done that? Yes, I have done that. And then you hear it go off. And and I hear it and I go, oh my God. (laughs) I, I I I should be in some kind of program. Yeah. How did that not occur to me? But... Yeah. I don't know. I, I never get sick of talking about this. People probably get sick of hearing about it, but I don't know. I, you know, when, when you think about like the nominal topics of the show, the hashtags for our show, yeah. like I think this goes to a lot of that stuff. And, you know, if, if people are still listening because they struggle with those things, I think it's still worth thinking about wh- what your on-ramp is for becoming aware of these patterns or loops, if you like. Mm-hmm. And even when they're little things, I mean, Think about how much stuff around anything from your your desire uh, for to be better what you do or to become successful or you you want to be creative, like how often the way you think about things and the frame that you put around how you think about things will continue to govern the way you see that thing until you have the presence of mind to reframe it, to look at it in it from a different angle, from a different you know focal length, from right. a different distance, you know to zoom in and out as I like to think of it. And I, I don't know. I think that'll always be interesting. Well, I think it's interesting too. I think anything that has to do with, because we think of, at least I'm, I shouldn't say we, I think of myself as a person who is, you know, like I, I feel like I, I, I know my own mind. And then when it acts in a way that I wasn't anticipating, I realized maybe I don't, you know, uh, it's always fascinating when you watch a little child who's learning how to grab something. They grab their own feet for the first time, or they take the item out of your hand when you're holding it for them. You know, like these are skills that they're learning. They're starting from square one and they're saying, Oh, that, that, that ring, I want to hold that ring. And I can do that now by extending my arm and grabbing it and bringing it right to my mouth. You know, that's what a little kid does. Yeah. You know, they're learning that they can interact with the world and that they have some kind of control over their direct a uh, little sphere of a uh, bubble of, of the universe. And when something is happening different in your mind, than you think it should, or than you might want it to there, you know, you have these habitual things that you, that you do the way that you react. I, the whole thing of saying, so after somebody asked a question that, we, that we've talked about, I was watching shark tank uh, a week ago. I love that show. And every single... Is it kind of like The Apprentice kind of thing? Uh, Shark Tank, they've got... Um, I 
forget if it's four or five different people who are uh, they've got like Mark Cuban and and some other people who are sort of self-made usually mil- million or billionaires they're a regular cast of these people that are on each show and then an entrepreneur of some kind who either wants to start a business or has a business or has a business they don't they want to take to the next level they come into the what's called the shark tank which is just a gimmick for the room where these people are sitting in chairs and they kind of do an elevator pitch where they're like, this is my business. This is how much money we've made. I want I want uh, $150,000 for 20% of the business. Here's what I want to do next. And then the sharks either they'll ask them questions and either kind of kick them to the curb and say, get out of here. Your idea is terrible. I'm not interested. And they, they say, I'm out. Or, uh, they'll almost begin like a bidding war and say, well, I'll give you 150000 I'll take 15%. The other one's like, well, I'll take 10% or I'll give you 500000 of equity debt in return for 25%. And here's what I'll get you on QVC and all that. And anyway, it's a very interesting show. But uh, every- so it's a, it's a, There's like two levels of competition to it. Yes. Okay. And it's, it's very interesting. And this is a shark's own money and they're doing these investments. And then they'll have like a follow-up of like six months later- this you know thing that Robert invested in is now here and doing this, and they'll show him like walk into the thing and like look how we've expanded our production and we used to sell a thousand units uh, a year and now we sell a thousand a week and isn't this great and being on Shark Tank changed every anyway it's a cool show it is actually a cool show, but every time and it really just grates on me when the Shark Tank folks will ask a question to the I guess the the p- pitchers the people who are in there with the entrepreneurs. They start their so, and we've talked about this weird oh, habit. You can't, little, you can't you can't unhear it. You can't unhear it. So, well, tell me about how much uh, how much revenue did you do in last year's uh, you know in twenty fourteen and Q four. So, and it's like no, don't what just answer the question without it's saying such a it. tick. Oh, it's such a tick. Little habits like that that they don't even realize that they're doing. Have you ever thought about how often you as a person? touch your face or or bite your nail or something like that. I just did like, it just now. I just rubbed my face really hard. You see? Oh, yeah. But like little things like that that we don't even know we're doing. Oh, we think we yeah, know what yeah, we're doing. Yeah. We don't know what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I, I, noticed that. I noticed that on TV shows too. Do you watch Best New Restaurant? Oh, the, you're the second person in a week to tell me I need to get on that it's, bandwagon. It's, it's fundamentally flawed in terms of the way. It's not nearly as elegant as something like a Project Runway or a Top Chef. But okay. But it's just funny. Every week in my family now, you know, I like to, I would like to think, I, I don't like to, you know, go, you know, behind the looking glass, but I think that I like to think there's a few phrases that I've ruined for everyone. I would like to think that sir uh, has been ruined for everyone. <laughs> yeah. I would like to think it turns out has yeah. been ruined. Uh-huh. Uh, and I hope everyone out there is saying it as artisanal. These are things that I hope. Yes. Um, but there's one point in, at the, toward the beginning of every episode, you know, and the, the, I think part of what makes reality shows so comforting is that they're pretty much the same show with different people every time. Uh, yeah. Okay. You know I, I mean? can there's see such that. A, there's something comforting about the format and the music and the ching, <laughs> chung, chung, and like all the sounds. Like on, on Top Chef, it's like, a, yeah. like all, this, all the sounds. But at one, at one point, uh, Tom, Tom Colicchio is setting up the show and he's introducing this guy here. He's uh, been my, my partner for about 12 years now. And he says it every week exactly the same way. He's, uh, he's a partner of mine. We've been working together about 12 years now. And every single week it comes on and he goes, oh, yeah, we've been working together about 12 years now. And my family both turn to me and start laughing because he just says it exactly the same way every time where it must be in the guy's contract for him to say that he's worked with Tom Colicchio for about 12 years now. Uh-huh. And it, and for some reason, I know it's coming and it, and it always, it just, it sets me off every time. Um, I want to hear about something you like, but um, I also, uh, what was my uh, somewhat useful point? I forget. But the, um, <coughs> excuse me, Glavin. <coughs> <coughs> Cut that out. The um, <laughs> the um, 
the thinking, the thinking about how we think part, I, I think can be, <laughs> I think it'd be very useful. I don't know if I can get out of this. Um, because I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it goes to a lot of the stuff that, uh, that we obsess about and people out there obsess about. And I think what it comes down to is, is this. I, 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 I'm pretty sure I'm not the first person to ever say this. I uh, wish I were, but the interesting thing about reality is it, it doesn't need to prove that it's real. Like if, if reality, if it's a thing, then it doesn't, there's no case that needs to be made for it. Like reality is it's what's there. This is this, right? But what's interesting is that I think as we get older and we stop doing things like picking up a rubber ring and putting it in our mouth because we're a baby or discovering our feet, we get more and more heuristics, more and more biases, more and more things that help us explain why the world is the way it is until I would postulate that by the time you've had a job for a while and maybe had the same house for a while and had the same schedule for a while and watched the same TV for a while and listened to the same music for a while and had the same friends for a while, it's not at all unusual for you to have a very habitual way of thinking about the world yeah. regardless of what happens in the world, right? And, and that to me, you know, when we talk about, we joke about getting old or something like that, I think we all start getting old as we start accumulating more and more of those framing devices and biases till you can get to the point where like we're, you're never going to be able to prove to some people that climate change exists, let alone that it was caused by humans. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, I think that the, the statistics are there to show that even people who are categorically really smart have a strong opinion about that, regardless of what appears to be the truth. And that's just how it is. So maybe one thing to talk about after you tell me what you like is I think it's interesting to think about ways, you know, you know me, I'm really kind of obsessed with the idea of framing and learning how to reframe a problem or change the focal length for how you look at it or learning to ask yourself in a very gentle way, mm -hmm. a non-judgy way is like, is there any way in which I tend to think about or look at this piece of reality in this one way and mold it to how I think the world is or should be rather than seeing it for what it is. And I don't know. I think, I think you don't have to go real deep and get all existential about it. I think just asking that even with the most basic creative problem solving will can get you out of the habit of automatic types of thinking, automatic loops of, uh, thinking that lead to certain behaviors, none for everybody, but I, and I, I think it can also make you a more creative person because at the heart of it, a creative person is somebody who takes two totally seemingly unrelated things and is able to make something new out of it. And that takes a certain amount of openness and spaciousness in the way that you think that will always be shortcut by deciding that the world has always been this certain way mm -hmm. because that's how you cope. Right. But it, th that's the thing is it, when something, the, but then think about how change affects that. Think about how, oh, do you want me to do the thing I like and then that? Yeah, sure. Tell okay. me something you like. Okay, let me tell you about one of two things. The first one is Harry's. When did shaving get so expensive is the question I was asking myself. That's a loop for me, Dan. I'm always asking that. What, when did this get so expensive? Yeah. When did I start paying $4 for a razor blade that I can use twice? It's too much. And too I don't much. know. So you're, you're, the same, you're in the same boat as I am, right? Where you, uh, you, you can only, a traditional blade, you can only use like two times. Oh, I'm, I'm very gentle. I mean, I go and I take the, uh, the, the clipper to clip off everything that I can like get with the, you know, like the thing people use to shave their head. The zzz, but, I use yeah, one of those. Clippers. It take off all the, uh, the gross hair, the large hair. And then I only use the razor to, to get off the, uh, normal man's stubble hair. Right. I mean, you want, and you even then I think I really only get two good shaves out of a standard corporate blade. That's the most you're ever going to get. Well, I think with the Harry's blade, you're going to get a lot more. They they found a factory, a company factory in Germany 
making these really, really, really good blades. And they started working with them. They eventually like acquired the company. They bought the company making these blades in Germany. So now they have the highest quality blades uh, right there on hand. They cut out the middleman and they send these things right to you. And you get them whenever you need them. They, 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 they're there, these blades that last and last, and they're super sharp. And, uh, and they, they pair them up with a really nice handle. The handle is just a, a beautiful thing. It's like an old-fashioned kind of a, a razor handle. And they also include in this uh, starter kit that you get, uh, you get either the – now, you like the, the foaming gel, is what you yeah, were saying. I try. I try different things. I, if you want, in a, maybe in a in a separate shaving vertical, I would be happy to go into how I shave. But I like to try different things. I think mixing it up is a good idea. Yeah. Well, you can try it with them. You can, all I know is hot water. It's all. Let me just say that. Oh, if it's you got nothing hot. else today. You gotta. It's all about water, water, water. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you mm-hmm. when you're showering? Uh, you shower first and then shave, right? Soften everything up, or, or are you one of the weirdos who, shave, who, who uh, shaves first and then showers? I think you're going to want to table this for the vertical because I, I have a very complicated uh, showering uh, mechanism. All right. Well, let's definitely. But, but what I do is it involves things. You want to talk about shaving and showering? How about yeah. this? How's this for the call to teaser? Uh, it involves stuff before the shower, it involves stuff during the shower, and it involves stuff after the shower. Because I care. Yeah. Detail. Their, their foam stuff is nice, though. Well, they, they sent me um, out of nowhere, I guess, because they've sent me stuff before. I got the gel. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's it's, it's Well, they great. wanted you to try. They wanted you to try them both so you could see if you like the gel or the, the yeah, regular shaving cream. Yeah, they work right They were great. I love them. <laughs> well, they're very cool stuff. And for 15 bucks, you get the starter kit. Uh, you get the, the beautiful handle. You get three blades, and you can pick the the, uh, the Merlin gel or the Dan cream. Mm. And, uh, and... If you use our code, you will get $5 off your first purchase, which makes the kit, which is what I think you should start with, a 10 bucks. You can get this thing engraved. It makes a lovely gift for your significant other. Comics is the code, one word, comics. So you go to harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S, harrys.com. Comics will save you $5. You get your starter kit for just 10 bucks. So go check them out. Thanks very much to Harry's for making this show possible. Merlin Mann. Yep. Yeah, there's a heuristic for remembering that code. I like back to work, except for the comics. Oh, right. I saw that feedback. That's, that's a heuristic. It almost rhymes. Yeah. Um, you, you want to come back to shaving? Yeah, let's circle back. Yeah. I, you know, I, uh, it's the race to be relevant. I, I want to I provide something useful that, uh, you know. But the, I think, I think shaving, the, race, the race to be relevant. <laughs> okay. I don't want to lose the functional high ground. Right. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we should talk about shaving first. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, it kind of seems all, like you all, want all to. I'm saying, all I'm saying is this. Part of this problem, part of this, 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 uh, and, and you know, let's, you know, we mentioned this every once in a while, but I had reason to go to this page today um, because I wanted to make a joke. And as you know, I like to fact check my jokes when I can. And I think arguably, I said this on the internet today, but maybe after the Wikipedia page for Fantasy Island, the most important Wikipedia page is the one on cognitive bias. Because it leads you to so much interesting stuff. You can get lost on that. Oh my God, it's so Hy- amazing. Hyperlinks. H- hyperlinks. <laughs> that was the novelty of the web. You can be reading something and one of the words will be like glowing and you click it and it takes you to another page, which is a, an HTML file. H- Hy- hypercard. 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 You have a stack. <laughs> um. 
So uh, we'll put this in show notes. Dan, where can people, and as much as you're comfortable saying, where can people find show notes for this episode of your uh, Back to Work program? Oh, they can go. I have to double check the number. They can go to 5by5.tv slash B2W slash 212. 212. B is in brethren. Two is in the number. W is in walrus. In Kublai Wait, let me get it right. No, in Xanadu, do Kublai Khan, a stately pleasure dome decree. That's the heuristic for remembering comics. Um, no, it's not 2112. It's 212. I think I should start over, Dan. I had a couple eggs, and that's about it. That's all you've had today? I've been very busy. Is it noon? Very busy. It's noon 33. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, the cognitive bias. I don't know. You see, now we're going to get, you're, you're going to get email from people because we don't know what we're talking about. But cognitive bias, uh, I'm just going to read off the page. A cognitive bias is a pattern of deviation in judgment whereby inferences about other people and situations may be drawn in an illogical fashion. Individuals create their own quote unquote subjective social reality from their perception of the input. And boy, does I, I just think that's huge. Mm. I got to finish reading this Daniel Kahneman book, uh, the thinking fast and slow book. We'll put that in notes too. I started it. It's, it's amazing. I think he's the guy who co-came up with that term, actually, cognitive bias. But let me go look that up. Um, I don't know. I guess I guess all I'm saying is this. This For some reason, this is one of those silver bullets that, that it, it uh, I don't know if a silver bullet can tick boxes, but this ticks a lot of my boxes. <laughs> is um, is, <laughs> is uh, the importance of the mixed metaphor is it's really like a toilet seat made out of nuts and shrimp. It's uh, extremely dangerous to lots of people and not very useful. The um, the thing about thinking is that um, <laughs> uh, I think this is something, I think becoming aware of the patterns of your thinking is the first step to uh, a nearly endless number of very, very interesting things. And we can go in a million directions from there. But I think once, as long as, let's put it this way, as long as you're not aware that there are patterns to the way that you think, it's difficult to do lots of things at the very least. And I, I think people don't think about that because they don't think about that. And then once you become aware of, in, in a way, this, sure, this gets us into mindfulness. This gets us into Skill, skillful therapy, thinking, appropriate attention. Skill, exactly right. And, but I mean, any of the stuff, and you know, if you want to put it down on the most like day to day level, you know, you think about what makes a good life hack. A life hack is when you like realize something could be better and then see a novel, if slightly inelegant solution for actually making sure that that happens. You know, again, making, making the right thing the easy thing. So I don't know. Is that, is that interesting to talk about? I think it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, when, well, when you talk about, when you talk about things like, like coping mechanisms or habitual things, I mean, we all, you know, I'm sure that every one of us has met somebody and we think to ourselves, why are they acting like that? Right. Or why do they do that? Or why does this person always have so much drama around them? Or why does this person never call back or whatever. And, you know, all of these different things are just part of how that person has learned to cope with what is a very uh, chaotic and in, in most situations, most times uh, a, a world that doesn't make all that much sense where things just seem to happen. We all have these different ways of coping. And most of us, me included, of course, have, uh, have developed unskillful, as we would use the term in Buddhism, unskillful ways of coping with a chaotic world that is impermanent, where things are constantly in flux, things are constantly changing, things are constantly unpredictable. And one of the ways that the most common 
for us to do is to base our happiness on things that are impermanent. So we're, this is fundamental Buddhism 101 stuff. We're basing our happiness on something that's impermanent. And as a result of that, we have impermanent happiness. Well, what else are we supposed to do? Uh, But, you know, like, think about it. You, you know, right now, as you're listening to this show that, you know, at the end of the day, you'll go downstairs and go to the parking lot and your car will be there. And that, you know, when, when you go and you get your car, you're neither happy nor sad. You're relatively neutral when you get into that car because that's where you left it. You expect that your mind's on something else. What am I going to make for dinner? I hope, uh, you know, I hope my kids had a good day at school. I hope I, you know, I'm looking forward to watching the show tonight, whatever it is that you're going to do. These, these are the things, but all of a sudden, if you go down and you see that your car has been sideswiped by another car in the parking lot, you now have negative feelings about that. That's right. That's bad. I don't even want to go into the second arrow of, being angry about something that you can't change and all that stuff. but And, and why it happened to right. you. Right, why did it happen to me? Why did it happen, why to, did it happen to me? Right. And well, all, that, it's so frustrating, but if you think about all of that, now you have negative emotions, negative feelings uh, that are unhealthy for you. They're unskillful thoughts to have. You can't change what happened. The fact is your car has been damaged and you need to get it repaired and that's that's just what happens and why you, who knows, but it's difficult to have that kind of a detachment. But your happiness or even your neutrality, your feelings of of neutral, neutral goodness uh, were <laughs> sort of they, – they were there because you expected your car to just be where it was when you left it there. But there's no rule that says it will be even where it was or that it will be in the same condition. Uh, it's, it's going – you know, the world – things happen in the world and – now you're feeling angry about it. You know, now you're like, oh, I don't know why did this happen? And all of this frustration kind of builds and then you get angry. And then when you get home, instead of having a nice night with your kids, you're grumpy and maybe you snap at them before you should. And then they have a bad day and there's this cascading effect of all of these things that happened because my happiness was based on the fact that my car is supposed to be where I left it and in the same condition. It's supposed to be that way. Car should not be hurt. Car should be in good condition. Car should be the way I left it. But there's there's no rule that says that. It's just that our mind believes that. That's actually a, an unskillful habit. That's an unskillful way of thinking. That will continue to go on in exactly that way, except by amplifying. Right. Uh, until you become aware of it, let alone do something about it. Yep. And that's, that's why to expand on what you first said, um, I, th- I think you're right that we... And, and I don't know if you intended it this way, but you say like, okay, well, there's this person. Why do they do what they do? Why didn't they return my call? Like, you know, and, and then, you know, you may become, you may stop and go, oh, I'm, I'm not being a very sympathetic person or, or whatever. But like, to me, the, the more interesting thing in that instance is all of the evidence that you use to decide first to notice that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like what you choose to cobble together from memory, you know, from recollections and from various kinds of cognitions and mood probably a lot of the time but like even before you try to like understand that other person it's also really useful to look at yourself and go like well uh is all that really true is there and this is kind of a cbt sort of thing um what is the real evidence for what i'm coming up with is that person actually distant even without having to guess like did they just find out they have cancer or whatever even just going like do how often do i draw these conclusions quickly um about people based on, oh my gosh, status. They didn't respond to me fast enough and I think they're trying to throw me some shade. 
right? right. Or, or based on fear. They probably don't want to tell me some really bad news. Or, or based on you know, anything you can come up with in your head. That, that to me is equally interesting. Not just h- how that we project things onto other people, but then how we come up with something, maybe within like a second or two, that meets a narrative, and that's the word I just wrote down was stories, that, re- that meets the, matches up with the story that we have about ourselves and the world. And I think if you start realizing how many stories you tell yourself and retell yourself, I think that, that again, can be very instructive and, and can make you more skillful because you realize that they're stories, that they're things that you're, it's this constantly evolving narrative about a, an entire universe in which you're just this one being, and yet you've got this whole theory about how vaccines work. Like that's, that's the kind of thing where you start to realize how bananas we all are, or, you know, again, superstitions, because if something went, you know, three ways out of five, you can start to feel like that's really a pattern. Mm -hmm. And that's the part that can be really destructive, but can also be the opportunity to, you know, learn about yourself. we're, We're so good at finding patterns or attaching meaning to things. We're so, as a, as a species, that's our specialty is saying this happened because of that. This is one of my all-time favorites. I, I remember when I, I feel like I was in college when I first heard this term. I'm on the cognitive biases page, availability heuristic. And it's so, it's so weird to go through life and be even a young adult and suddenly have somebody tell you the name of something that you didn't know how to name. And you go, oh, <clears throat> I know what that is. Availability heuristic. The tendency to overestimate the likelihood of events with greater availability, quote unquote, in memory, which can be influenced by how recent the memories are or how unusual or emotionally charged they may be. So if your parents recently announced that they're getting divorced, you might start feeling like everybody's getting divorced. Right. It always, it always rains when I wash my car. Well, no, it doesn't always rain when you wash your car. You just really remember the times that it rained when you wash your car, especially if that's what happened last time. And, you know, is that really obvious? Oh my gosh, yes. Every single one of these is so obvious. Confirmation bias. The tendency to search for, interpret, focus on, and remember information in a way that confirms one's preconceptions. I mean, where's the fundamental attribution error? That's the big one. This one, this one's like the uh, Rosetta Stone of problems. Fundamental attribution error. Tendency for people to overemphasize personality-based explanations for behaviors observed in others. At the same time, individuals underemphasize the role and power of situational influences on the same behavior. Just saying. Break that down for me. Uh, I think, I, I mean, I read that quickly, but I think that comes down to, um, uh, I have my reasons in particular. Right. Although as we, I mean, I might be getting this slightly wrong, but I think it's along, along the lines of other people do things because they're bad and stupid. And I do things because the world made me this way. It's a classic <laughs> kind of Magneto problem. Right. You know, it's a classic supervillain problem. Like every, uh, somebody like, you know, like the guy in a Jonathan Colton song, like he, the, the, the guy, the guy in, um, uh, what's my favorite Jonathan Colton song? Skullcrusher or uh, mountain. Like the guy in that song, he thinks he's being really nice. He thinks he's being really nice to the girl that he kidnapped on the mountain full of wolves. Mm. He can't believe that she's being so uncivil with him, you know? So I don't know. What do you think? Well, this is a dense topic and it's not something I know a, a, a ton about. I mean, I know about Magneto. But I think, you know, everybody has their own sort of origin story in a way of like why, why I am like this or why I, why, why I, why I do what I do, why I do what I do. And I think in our minds, we're able to sort of rationalize this and we all sort of feel justified and we all sort of feel like what we are doing is, I mean, for the most part, the right thing, or we try to do the right thing or we say, that's not that right, but I'm doing this other thing and. That'll make up for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also 
I don't know. I think it's so funny when, when people are always, I feel like people are always looking for, why did you do that? Or why did you not do that? And that question always seems so strange to me because I, I feel like if I'm really honest with myself, I mean, yeah, sure, I think about stuff. I way th- overthink about some things, but I, it's sometimes difficult to say something like, well, you know, why do you, why do you own so many Apple products? And I'm like, well, like, how do you mean that question? I mean, on the one hand, it's kind of what I've always used. On the other hand, I kind of like them. And on the uh, third hand, uh, it's what I have here. It's like, what do you mean? Why do I use this? Or why don't I do that? Why don't I speak Swahili? Why am I not a potted fern? Like, how do you, how do you even start to explain something like that? Whereas, you know, but then again, on the other hand, I have my own creation, like anybody, my own creation myth stories about why things are the way they are, you know? And I mean, as, as the pace of, of technology and cultural change picks up and as more and more information becomes obviated more and more quickly, there's probably never been a better time to at least be aware that your story may not be up to date, let alone even true. So when you say up to date, though, what do you mean? Hmm. I'm going to avoid talking about Apple. Well, <laughs> I, you know, do I don't you, know. Do we have, should we avoid talking about Apple? Oh, brother. Um, I, and this is like, here's, here's a funny one for me. Like here, here's one where like, I'm just, I'm being honest by saying something that's going to make my sound controversial, but like, um, there's the stuff that's been going on with Bill Cosby. Where, like, the first time I heard the whisperings of allegations about what Bill Cosby had allegedly done in the past, yeah, yeah. I I just didn't even really think about it because a lot of people say a lot of things about a lot of things, and then there were more of them, and it seemed like a little bit of of a pile on. Now, what I must disclose is that I think Bill Cosby is one of the greatest comedians of all time. More importantly, though, Bill Cosby was one of the hugest influences on what I learned to think was funny when I was a little kid. I imprinted on Bill Cosby's humor when I was very, very young. So what does that make me? Well, that might make me a little biased. So when I very first heard those things, I just honestly didn't think about it that much because whatever, I don't really follow the news. But then more and more stuff came out and I realized he hasn't had a day in court yet, but it's sure not looking good right now. I think anybody who even just reads up a little bit on all the stuff that's happened and I, you know, I'm just picking this out because it's it's a, t- it's a tough one for me. Uh, I guess I would say at this point, it would not be surprising to me at all if <laughs> he'd done some pretty bad stuff. The evidence really appeals appears to be piling up. The way he's handling it is not the way somebody <laughs> who hadn't done it would handle it. And I feel I, I don't want to say anything because like he hasn't had his day in court, but I got a feeling he might have done some pretty bad stuff. And yet, there's still that part of me that like loved him as a comedian. And I can have these two separate things in my mind. Let's be honest. On the one hand, there's this part of me over here going, Bill Cosby is one of the greatest comics of all time. Full stop. Over here. Over here. Oh my God. If if a tenth of these stories are true, he's a horrible, horrible man. And in the middle, you've got the image of this guy who, um, I mean, I remember as a kid hearing, you'd always see in the credits, Dr. William Cosby Jr. Because he, you know, got a PhD. I think he went to Temple. He got a PhD in uh, physical education. He was like such an advocate for kids. He did Fat Albert. There was all that stuff. So when something like that comes out, that talk about cognitive dissonance. Like it's still, so I mean, I hope I'm appearing at least somewhat sympathetic here. I'm, I'm saying it sounds like he really did a lot of bad stuff, but there's still this part of my mind where, do you follow me? Like, yes. So, so when I look at people who go, vaccines, I'm not going to vaccinate my kid because they're going to get this condition. 
or I see somebody else going, it snowed in Boston this year, therefore climate change doesn't exist. Uh, all I'm trying to say is I'm trying to be sympathetic to the fact that everybody out there has some really weird logic going on in their head that's based heavily on things like emotion and memory. <laughs> well, what is that? Siri thought I was asking for weather in Boston. That's awesome. Um, you can tell I'm uncomfortable talking about this because well, I, mean, I, I kind of don't want to say what I really think, which is the guy seems like a pretty bad actor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the when you when you are well, just going back to your initial comment of like, I remember the whole Dennis thing that Bill Cosby did when I was a kid as like up there with that Spanish fly. No. Oh, okay. Cause you know, he did a bit on Spanish. I fly. know he did. Yeah. Um, no, the one where he's tight, it was, I think his HBO special where he does, um, Oh, and the dentist always wants to talk to you and the, you got your and, mouth full. Yeah. Your mouth is all full yeah, yeah. and numb. And I, I remember that as being just like the funniest thing when I was a 10 year old kid, you know, and just like, that and then the Cosby show and you know is it is it okay to remember those things fondly let's say he goes to court and it and he's guilty for example we don't know but let's just say that happens let's say that that it, or or it's clear enough that things happen and it, you know everyone has to make up their own mind for now but like is it is it okay to still think fondly about that is it okay for that to still see, be funny I, I or can of, i not am i not allowed to I, like that see, stuff i don't anymore? know it's I, I i don't i think it's kind of a slightly separate issue because there's so much involved in like you know you see all the places where they're like okay bill you need to resign from the board because even while this is going on we, we can't have you you know tarnishing this so i don't i don't know the answer to that um and i i i I guess all, all, all I'm trying to get at, though, for me is that I'm trying to confess partly why I'm sympathetic to other people whose logic I think is pretty suspicious. And I think it's pretty easy to pile on, on the internet in particular, it's very easy to pile on to people um, through various kinds of saying like, well, I really like science. I've never taken a science class, but I'm one of those people on the internet who talks about how much they like science, mostly because of infographics. And then so now you fancy yourself this atheist, pro-science person who's out there setting everybody straight all the time. I think there is a certain kind of herd mentality uh, among even people that I really like to pile on to people um, because they're dumb or because they, they, don't, they don't see facts and science and truth as clearly as we do. And I guess all I'm trying to say is like... Uh, I don't have a dog in this fight except to say that I think we all have that on a level that, and if you were really honest with yourself, you would admit that you have blind spots too and you have biases too. And as long as you think that your main job is to go out and set everybody else straight, hmm. uh, it gets away from the fact that we all have our own very, very difficult to identify, very difficult to pin down, very difficult to get rid of biases just based into like how our life has gone every day. And when you find out something that is grossly at odds, and even if it's incontrovertibly true, mm -hmm. quote unquote, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I still think it's extremely difficult to be aware that life could be any way other than what you thought it could be, you know? Um, so again, see also cargo cults, you know, this is how, this is how the food arrives on the island. So we make coconut headphones. Are those people stupid? Well, no, I mean, not really. They're, they're just, they're doing what they think is going to work to make this seemingly improbable thing happen, which is have a plane here and give us, give us uh, food. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I don't mean to 
say con- be controversial, but you know, it's these are sensitive issues. I'm only picking one out that is that sensitive because it shows you that even though I think what he what he is alleged to have done is uh, just beyond awful. You know, I, there's, I, there's still, you know, there's still this part of me that goes that, that for a long time was going like, well, he's Bill Cosby, right? I don't know. I think we all have that. And a lot of times we see that in things like, I think we see that a lot with our communities and our families where there's something that's always been looked at a certain way. It could even be true in the office. I've joked before about like the kind of office culture where like one bad experience with a vendor means you never use that vendor again. Okay. Well then how far off is that from like, we don't, we don't even use that vendor's religion of people anymore. We don't use that vendor because they're in this part of town. Mm. You start coming up with something that starts out as a, as a grain of truth and a strong feeling and then turns into this entire framework for how you decide to operate things. And the more of those frameworks that remain unexamined, the less able you are to maintain some kind of agility or self-awareness in how you try to change your way about how you see the world. Yeah, gosh, I mean, but this is back to the whole concept of framing in a a big way, because we do have that world view. We do have that perspective that if and when it is challenged in some way at a fundamental way, uh, it, it, it feels very disruptive. You know what I'm saying? Like it's if somebody were to say this and we'll go back to the Cosby thing, this person who you basically were entertained by and loved your whole life was doing terrible things like, well, what does that mean then about me for liking him? Even though I didn't know, what does that mean about, about me? What does that say about me as a, as a human being who spent hundreds of hours enjoying entertainment made by this person? Are are they a bad person? Did they make mistakes? What happened in their life that led them down that path? Can they be forgiven? Do they have to be, you know, convicted and serve time before I can be okay with what they did? Or are they purely a bad person and evil forever now going forward? You know, see what I'm saying? I do. I do. And I think it's true. It's true in all kinds of things related to, like I said, climate change is, is, I guess, kind of an obvious example. But it's true. It's true in politics, too, where, I mean, it's true anywhere where you have your frame about how the world works. And and again, in some ways, this... I think it has so much to do with childhood and family and values. And by that, I just mean the kinds of things that are never even really questioned. It's like, this is the way that we do things in our family. And so if you live in a Mennonite community and you behave and think and worship in a certain way, um, to do, I mean, for the first, whatever, 12 or 15 years of your life, you're not going to get a whole lot of input from anybody just going, "Oh, oh, plus there's these other myriad options. You're going to have like, that is my family. That is my community. Mm -hmm. This is how we see the world. And it isn't a matter of like necessarily cutting you off from those other points of view, but those other points of view are going to have to compete with an entire lifetime of thinking and cognition and belief. And I think when it's not unusual at all to say, and I guess I'm pretty far off topic now, but that when, when new information comes along, no matter how overriding and persuasive it should be, I still think it's not unusual for reasons we can't always put our finger on to not really understand why it is we don't choose to change or are able to change the way we see how mm, things are. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's probably more examples. Did you have something else you wanted to tell me about? Uh, sure. I'll tell you about FreshBooks. FreshBooks.com. If you love the idea of being your own boss, but like you don't want to do the paperwork that's associated with it. You don't want to do like invoicing and you don't, you want to just take the pain out of that entire process, because trust me, it, like it is painful. You you did some work, and now you invoice the company, and you want to get paid, and they say, "Well, I'm I'm got it." I don't know what you mean? 
I didn't get that. <laughs> They say uh, in that voice too. Yeah, I don't know. Well, like a David Letterman voice. Well, I don't see any voice. In voice. <laughs> I was watching Late Shift uh, again last week. Have you ever seen that good. one? Yeah, I have. It's good. It was great in that. Is what's her name from uh, Misery? She's great in that. As Helen, she plays Helen, right? Yeah, yeah. That Jay Leno's sort of handler agent. But she does not come off well in a lot of anecdotes. No, no, that is so true. Sorry. No, it is Fresh Books. You want to invoice? Books. You want to invoice somebody? They take the pain out of it. They make it incredibly easy to invoice somebody and actually know that they did get it because you can see when they click the link in their email that they looked at it. You can also send them PDF files. You can also invoice mom and pop shops. They'll actually print out an invoice, put it in an envelope and, uh, and uh, lick a stamp and send it out to these people. It's really, really great. They also do really cool things like help you track your time. You can, uh, if you, if you go somewhere, you go on a trip. And you got to expense a bunch of stuff. They handle that. They've really thought everything through. And, and their whole goal is to make it easier for people who are running their own business, even if it's a small business of one, to focus on the stuff that you do well. Because so few of us are actually good at or enjoy the process of like invoicing and accounting for our time and dealing with late paying clients. And FreshBook integrates with Google Apps. It integrates with Basecamp, MailChimp, all the, all the services that you love. And uh, if you ever need help, you call and a real live human being will answer and help you every single time. So if you use our special URL, it's freshbooks.com slash back to work. That will give you free use of their service for 30 days. And uh, it's a great way to find out if you like it. You get the full, as, as Merlin would say, the unabridged service mm. for 30 days. Freshbooks.com slash back to work spelled out. Go check them out. We do use FreshBooks, and we love FreshBooks. Uh, so so it's a, it's a good service, something you might like. FreshBooks.com slash back to work. Thanks very much to them for supporting the show. Mm-hmm. Merlin Man. It's a good service. Merlin Man, Bok Bok. Uh, this is a big topic. Huge. I mean, we talked about it a million times, but it's um, it really it, it's so big and it's, it's so significant. And at the same time, I feel like it's so elusive. Because the very the basic problem in some ways that we're talking about is seeing something that's everybody else's hang up and not yours at all, mm. right? And then, then getting all, all weird and mad about it. Because I think, uh, speaking for myself, it, I think it's in some ways it's easier to look back in in retrospect or less difficult to look back in retrospect and see times where something came along that where reality kind of forced itself on your belief system right. and you realize that something that you never even realized was a load-bearing wall of your belief system and worldview was either extremely flawed or at uh, least a little bit flimsy and that, that when poked at a little bit, the whole roof ends up coming down. And I think when you look at stuff from the past about that, um, that makes it a little bit easier to do. You know, if you say, well, like I had a belief in a Judeo-Christian God and they want to really thought about it, it didn't make that much sense anymore. But we just, I mean, that's not a judgment, it's just an example. Or, or you could go like, you know, I, I never, I never believed that my parents could ever do anything wrong until they did all these wrong things. Right. Oh, or, that's a big one that I, I think a lot of people go through. Or, you know, let's punch up, I guess, a little bit. And, you know, I never realized how much stuff I just get away with in life because I'm a white guy. That's a big one. That's a big one that is very uncomfortable to think about. Because even if you do realize that you can't change without a lot of surgery and uh, reengineering, you can't change the fact that you still have that, that privilege. But it is very instructive to become aware of it, to realize that it was there all along 
And uh, that, again, maybe controversial example, but that there are things that you just took as like, you just thought that you could show up in any neighborhood, any time of day and be well-respected because of who you are rather than the fact that you're like, in that case, a white dude. Yeah. Well, do some, do some exercises in your head and ask yourself about some other uh, genders and races and statuses and see how that same thing works out. Well, is that because those are bad people? Or is it because of something that you weren't even including? The most obvious things that you can include in that equation, you totally left out because you're not even aware of it. So, I mean, we could make this more, um, make it a, get into the more functional components, I think. Let's do it. Yeah. Do you have another sponsor? Nope. Okay. Um, I think, um, I don't know. I guess it's always, I think, useful to start up rather than thinking about like, how do I like uh, reboot everything? I think it's useful sometimes to think about like, what are some of the little things that I can do? to get better at a thing. And in this case, the thing I think we're talking about is, writ large, uh, habitual ways of thinking, uh, of seeing, thinking, deciding, doing, repeat as necessary, right? Because again, that's my own kind of loop obsession, is I think there is very much a relationship. Uh, And you can jump into the loop anywhere, but there's you see things a certain way, you might tend to then think about it a certain way, you might make a decision based on what you thought about that, and that will then heavily govern what you do next. And then, ironically enough, turns out, whatever you've done next will then cause what you uh, see next to be a little bit different, how you think about it, and so forth. So, I mean, we can look backward and say, well, here's all these reasons life for the way they are, or we can play this personal game of Keno with our life and go like, here's how this will turn out because I handled it this way. And if it doesn't work out that way, it's everybody else that was wrong, not me. And... Um, I don't know. I guess I just feel like the, the answer is, is, is so obvious and so difficult, which is that you first, it's first an interesting exercise to just become aware, to become aware of things like thought loops, to become aware of uh, elephants in the room. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think there's a variety of ways you can do that, but it's difficult to make any progress um, in, until you at least become aware of it. Uh, you know, I guess I just wish we were all a little, little bit more sympathetic about other people. It's, I don't know, maybe because that's just something I've been obsessed about for the last little while. Well, you, know, you, realizing- become, you become obsessed if you're, I think, the, if you're trying to be a good parent, you become obsessed with that kind of thing. Because you see that your kids, developmentally, they have to learn that other people have feelings and other people care about things. And, you know, like it, you watch this process of a child kind of going from, you know, just doing things and then being surprised that you're you're angry now like oh wait i did this thing and dad's angry well wait right. a minute. And, and realizing they're still discovering their feet right like exactly. they're still trying to figure out a whole bunch of connections where on the one hand there they have you know beginner's mind there's a lot of stuff they haven't experienced yet and on the other hand there's us who feels like we have this understanding about everything in the world based on our automatic modes of thinking mm-hmm. um to me uh, not to make it about parenting but one thing that's uh, an inter- super interesting exercise we've talked about this Roderick and i talked about this on the last episode is you know whenever you have to um quote unquote explain something to a child um it's it's really instructive and like for example john was saying the other night his daughter asked him what beauty was and how difficult it is to try and describe to a four-year-old what what, what that word means yeah because why, why is that difficult we could just read on the dictionary definition but on the one hand, how do you how do you describe that in a way that encompasses all the different meanings it can have? Do you need to have all those definitions? I don't know, but you kind of feel like you need to. Do you? How much do you lean on the fact that it differs a lot from person to person? How do you avoid all kinds of social status and political um, uh, garbage or baggage by trying to say like, okay, this person's beautiful, this person's not? And then on top of it all, 
how do you answer quickly enough that it doesn't sound like you're thinking about it too much just to come up with BS? Because anytime you have to explain something to a child, you realize how many of your biases are top of mind in a way you don't realize. Right. And so, you know, I don't know. Like, you know, think about trying to explain something like graffiti. I was just explaining graffiti yesterday. How'd you do it? Terribly. I did an awful job of it. But you know, he, 40, he was, 40 or 50 years ago, I would have had a really different explanation than I have today. What would you have said? Well, 40 or 50 years ago, I would have said some, some, some punk-ass minority kids are out there ruining our nice buildings because they don't have good homes. That's the kind of thing people would have said a long right, time ago. Sure. And now today you go, well, graffiti, you know. It's an it's, art form. Uh, it's kind of like well, art. Yeah, but I mean, it's graffiti until somebody draws a penis on your garage door. You know, it's a, uh, you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's true graffiti. I mean, I don't think, I don't think Gruber thought that was art. Um, remember that? Yeah. Oh <laughs> remember yeah. That? Yep. <laughs> but you know, uh, cause what is graffiti? Well, at the heart of it, graffiti <laughs> is when you, you make a public mark on something that doesn't belong to you. Kind of, mm-hmm. but that doesn't really even get at it. It doesn't get at the roots of hip hop. It doesn't get at the roots of what vandalism is and why it happens. But no, all I'm trying to say is you can come up with a million of these, but once you realize, if you're being, I swear to Christ, if you're being honest with yourself, try to explain almost anything without putting your values on it and do it quickly. It's way harder than it seems. Do you know what I mean? It's in, Well, it's impossible because we are, in so many ways, we are, our, our world is framed by those values that we have. And with it, you know, like I always see myself as, um, or I try to sort of guide my kids as opposed to tell them what to do. I feel like I'm their, their guide on, on their own path that they're making, which sounds, you know, a little sort of uh, tutti frutti. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. But I mean, I really do not want to form their opinions for them. And uh, there are certain things that I'm very clear about. Lying is wrong. Stealing is wrong. You know, that type of stuff. Hitting your sister, wrong. Hitting your brother, wrong. But, you know, I, like I don't – even something about like religion. Like I don't want to tell them that they should believe a certain thing oh, or shouldn't yes. believe a certain thing. Like totally, you know, as as a a, a a Jewish kid who's a Buddhist, I don't want to tell my kid when he tells me he's Christian and believes in Jesus Christ that he's wrong because he's not wrong. He's right, and you know, like he'll ask me, "Well, Dad, what, what do you believe?" And I'll tell him, and I'll be like, "But I have to make sure to explain to him like what I believe." In this situation, doesn't matter. It's about what yeah. he believes, and I, and just because I believe something that's different than him doesn't make what he thinks or feels wrong. However, stealing is still wrong, and you better believe me about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, yeah, and I think I think you're you're also um, when we think about the biases and how we think about that stuff. I think it also brings up something really important. And I think again, thinking about something like religion, not just God, but the idea of religion right. as, as as an institution. Well, how do I define and do I need to define religion in such a way that it encompasses both uh, ISIS and community potlucks <laughs> because that really it is part of the same Wikipedia entry, yeah. <laughs> but like, how do I give you both of those in a way that isn't completely perplexing? Try oh, this yeah. one. Ask me this. Ask me what search engine optimization is. What search engine optimization SEO? SEO is the, uh, is the idea of trying to make your page uh, more findable by search engines like Google and to improve your chances of coming to the top of the search results for given terms. So that's true, right? 
isn't I mean I'm, I'm not reading anything that's off the top of my head but isn't that true that that's what SEO is yes but that's not important what's important is SEO is ruining everything <laughs> so before I can tell you do I want to tell you how SEO ruins everything well first I have to give you that explanation which sounds entirely normal and plausible actually we do SEO shut up the problem <laughs> is now I can't I can't really get to the important part of that you know, and so when your kid asks you what religion is, well, they may be wondering, like, you know, one of my daughter's friends uh, wears a, what's it called, a, a hijab. She wears a, you know, an Islamic um, headscarf. No, she wears a headscarf. Okay. And, um, you know, they're observant uh, Muslims. And uh, so, you know, we talk about that. No big deal. I was like, that, that to me, that one is actually not that hard. It's like, well, her, her family uh, and their religion, uh, that one of the things is that they believe certain kinds of religions, you believe you should and shouldn't eat certain foods. Some think you should dress a certain way. You know, and that's based on the idea of how you see the world, how you think the world today and the world in the future works, how people feel about death. You know, you could talk about those things, but I, you know, I like the idea of not giving advice here. I'm showing you how I struggle is like, how do you say, well, you better be nice to her because if your friends make fun of her for having a towel on her head, that's wrong. Right. And now suddenly I'm San Francisco guy trying to tell my kid how to see the world. Mm -hmm. And I think as you sit here and listen to a podcast, you know, in your ease, I think it can be easy to think this stuff is simple when it's really, really not. And so if you think it's hard to explain something to a child, think about how you explain stuff to yourself. Mm. So if it's that difficult for somebody you really care about to understand something in an empirical way, ask yourself how often all that baggage is also in your own head. Because I'll bet you've got a whole baggage cart full of baggage yeah. and aren't even aware of it. And it's, you know, in terms of coping, we tend to think that we don't. We tend to think that we see clearly and failing all else, we do have our reasons. This is too big a topic for one podcast. Yeah, but probably. I, as you can tell, I, I find it en endlessly interesting. And if you ever hope to get better at anything, to avoid becoming a crotchety old person, to avoid becoming somebody who's a, a bigot or a dope, it, like you have to be open to constantly asking what you might be a little bit wrong about, which is extremely painful and time consuming. And we'll... If you don't get in the habit of having that kind of self-doubt, at least from time to time, it's difficult to grow. I, I really believe that. It, well, but, I think that's, that's the thing that differentiates people who are young versus old in, in the sense of, you know, it, how open-minded are you? How set in your ways are you? How willing are you to accept that somebody else's opinion may be different from yours, but also still true or still correct? And that, I think, is a huge, huge, huge challenge. And I was, I was actually reading something not that long ago that was talking about ed how education plays a role in that kind of open-mindedness, education, travel, all of these things. And, you know, we have this sort of stereotypical mindset of like the dude who like lives in one little town his whole life and never really travels outside of it and how he has these sort of set in stone opinions and he can be fairly biased and, you know, and, 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 and the sort of Pleasantville scenario. Um, somebody provincial. Yes. And, you know, and then you compare that to somebody who's like a National Geographic photographer who's, you know, she's traveled the entire world and seen everything and visited cultures and lived in a yurt and all this stuff and, uh, you know, got a master's and a PhD in something. What a different perspective that person would have than the person who, uh, you know, lived in the small town and has these sort of set ideas. It feels wrong to feel that way and think, wow, that person in the small town is pretty dumb, isn't he? And this is the woman who traveled the world and, you know, that, like she's, she's kind of knows more than him, but that, like, there's something that inherently feels wrong to me to say that, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. and, and it, it almost feels like I'm the one 
who has the wrong perspective if I were to say that. Uh, and the way I, we've got to be like the scorekeeper to decide who's more right about that stuff. Yeah. Like, just, just by guessing from a distance. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, boy. You ready for me to ruin it? Yeah. I'm going to ruin it. Do it. I, I watched a movie last night that uh, I've been wanting to watch for years. I finally watched uh, Conspiracy. Did you ever see it? It's about the, I think it's called the Wannacy Conference. It's basically no. where the SS called a meeting uh, to bring a bunch of people together to at last solve the problem of the Jewish question. Okay. And it's where the official beginning of um, the plan for the Holocaust started to roll out in an organized way. So, you know, as Godwin's law aside, Holocaust aside, what was so interesting in some ways about the meeting, which I guess is based on transcripts that got, you know, um, leaked out, was this, the portion where they were talking about in the word they had euphemisms. So, you know, there's the first the big euphemism of the Jewish question. And the other big euphemism is evacuation, which mm-hmm. was their word for extermination. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the, was the acceptable word to use. But in deciding who is going to be relocated, who is going to be evacuated, because they couldn't, quote unquote, store these Jews anymore, which is a you know, horrible thing. Uh, they started to ask questions because you have to understand this is when there was, this is 1942. There was still a set of laws in place. Like Colin First character had written the Nuremberg laws that decided who was Jewish, who was German, and down to like what percentage of blood, like if a German, a quote unquote German married a quote unquote Jew, like what would happen to their kid? And to listen to people sit around in a very fairly clinical way, by and large, talk about what someone's fate should be based on the percentage of blood. It's, it's a, such a telling few minutes in there. Um, where it, I think you, you, we, we watch something like that and go tisk tisk. Can you believe people ever did things like that? But then think about everybody in your family you've ever known who said something like, "There's good black people," or mm. "Yeah, I have a friend who's Jewish," mm-hmm. or "You know what? One of my best pals is gay." And in in those instances, it's it the, the, there's this darkness to the human soul, especially the American soul, I have to say, mm-hmm. where like we can find ourselves excusing like this fairly large amount of unsavory stuff by finding the example that proves the rule by saying, oh, you know what? Our house cleaner's really nice. She's really cool. Or, you know, our, our bookkeeper is a good guy or, and, and so forth. It's so, it's so interesting that of, of all the evidence in the world that indicates how a certain stuff goes in the world, we still end up falling back into our own Weltanschauung, like our own like way of seeing how the entire world operates and coming up with anecdotal evidence to, <laughs> to like excuse the way we act about this entire class of things because, well, no, you know what? It's okay. This is my black friend or whatever. Not that everybody does that, but I think everybody does that. I think, and you know, maybe not in that case, maybe those are extreme cases, but like it takes time, history, uh, tragedy and time <laughs> to eventually be able to recognize those things clearly. And, you know, how much better would we all be if we tried to be a little bit more aware mm-hmm. of those cases where we were trying to find some kind of a logical pattern in the world based on how people treated us for 30 years? Yeah. Because in, in the end, that, that's not really the best way to try and figure out how the world operates. We're not going to release this, right? No, this will never air. Okay. You know, one of the suggested titles, I think it was Richard A. Richard A. Uh, gave a suggested title of Animal Retentive <laughs> with no, no hyphen in it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, driving, it's driving me crazy. It's just bothering you it. a little. <laughs> just to keep clicking on the screen. All right, let's button this up. I love you, Merlin Man. I love you too, Dan Benjamin. Uh-huh.